Well, you made it. You made it to 2013, kind of like what Randy was talking about. Six days into it, the movie 2012 with uh, John Cusack got it wrong, right? The Mayans and the predictions of the end of the world. Well, guess what? They got it wrong as well. The world did not end. We're still here. I got to be honest, it was quite entertaining, though. It kept uh, channels like the Discovery and History Channel in business. Um, I don't know if you watched any of those uh, into the world shows. They're pretty good. Wonderful topics of conversation at the dinner table. Honey, do you think the world's going to end? I don't know. Do I have to clean my room, Mama, if the world's going to end? Things like that. But here's the deal. We're all here. And if we're here, then I'm going to believe that God has some pretty amazing things planned for us in 2013. I really honestly believe that. Do you? Do you believe that? In the words of Apostle Paul, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We are moving forward. We are pressing on. And I'm excited to be a part of what the kingdom of God is doing in 2013. I hope you are as well. With it being a new year, as Randy was talking about, I know a lot of you came up with New Year's resolutions. I actually forgot this year, but I think New Year's resolutions are good. I really do. I think setting a goal, trying to accomplish a goal is a wonderful thing. I will never make fun of you, never put you down for having a New Year's resolution. If you have one, I'd ask you this. How's it going? And it's okay if it's going well, but the reality is, you know, sometimes we struggle uh, getting going. But I just say this. If you've already blown it, if you've already messed up, don't quit. Pick it back up. Keep going. The first couple of weeks of trying to keep a resolution, I think they're kind of like going to the driving range before you're playing the round of golf. You're, you're just loosening up. You're getting warm. You're, you're getting a feel for how this whole thing is going to go. So stop beating yourself up, okay? Allow yourself some grace. Just keep on going. As Nike would put it, just do it. Just do it. Accomplish the goal that you set out to do. I believe you can do it. I do. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. January 1st, 2012, so last year, after the youth all-nighter, I decided to only drink decaffeinated drinks. And I decided this, honestly, I decided this because I was feeling convicted by the Holy Spirit, that I was relying way too heavily upon the drug that we call caffeine. And I was relying on it to get me through my day, and so I stopped. I stopped as an act of obedience to the Lord. And besides uh, one slip up at an espresso stand where I ordered the special, but uh, I forgot to tell her the decaf special. That was an interesting day at church, by the way. But <laughs> the decaf special, other than that, I've done pretty well. And my life is really, really better for it. I believe that as we lean upon the Lord, as we read his word, as we listen to his Holy Spirit, as we live a life of obedience to God, God will put desires within our hearts. He stirs us up. He speaks to us. That's what he does, right? God gives us desires. He gives us dreams. He gives us a passion to do what is pleasing to him. So I challenge you, be resolute. Be resolute. Be determined. Be determined. No matter how hard it might get, how tough it might get, even if you have to struggle. If you have to struggle, then struggle. Don't quit. Do what God has called you to do. A couple of weeks ago, I came out with a new CD, which I'm pretty excited about. I'm, I'm extre extremely proud of this CD. It's 10 songs based on Psalms 91 through 100. It's my second CD, and I got to tell you, it was hard. It was difficult. There were times when I just wanted to quit, when I wanted to give up. I tried to convince myself that I was wasting my time, that I should just move on to something else. But I love how the Holy Spirit works within me. I love the Holy Spirit. Because as I read the Bible, as I grew in my relationship with the Lord, He never, ever let me off the hook. 
Not once did I hear the Lord tell me I was supposed to stop making that CD. So even after all that initial inspiration and excitement, you know, after it was all gone and the inspiration had turned into just pure perspiration, I did not stop. I did not stop. Even when I got a new job, even when I got a new baby and life was trying to overwhelm me, I kept pressing on because God had called me to make that album. I am certain of it. And so that's what I did for you. God's got a call in your life. He's got a call in your life. And everything in this life seems to push against that call, doesn't it? The enemy whom Jesus calls the father of lies, he uses anything and everything he can to try to get you off track. Did you know he even uses your friends, your co-workers, sometimes your classmates, and even, may I say, sometimes your family to get you off track. But do not be discouraged. Keep your eyes on the prize. Keep moving forward, like Randy said. Press on. If God is in it, then here is God's promise to you from Philippians 4.19, that my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He will help you. He will resource you. It is time to set aside the passive life. It is time to engage in what God has called you to do. Do work, son. This is a year of action. This is a year of action. I've been doing a lot of thinking about LifeSpring over the past couple of weeks. I've been in prayer for you. I've been taking inventory on how things are going, where we've been and where we're headed. At LifeSpring, I actually feel like things have been going pretty well. We've seen a lot of new faces. We've had some people commit to the Lord, make personal decisions to the Lord to follow Him. We've actually had the privilege of baptizing a few of them, including today. Later on, we're going to celebrate baptism. Our men's and women's ministries, they've been going pretty strong. We have a stellar life group that meets throughout the week. We have uh, an amazing youth and children's program. We just made it through the holidays. Uh, Through the holidays, we gave as a church generously to those who were in need. And we gave through gifts and gift cards, food, supplies, and special offerings. I'm so proud of you, and I love it. And yet, in so many ways, I feel as though we have just scratched the surface of what God has called us to do. See, we want to reach our community. We do. If you're on my council, if you're on my leadership team, you've already heard my spill on how we're supposed to love our community. And we're not alone in this. In Fife, Milton, Edgewood, there are some pretty amazing churches that have done some pretty amazing things. Did you know we have another Foursquare church just down the road? It's called Hope Foursquare, a tremendous church who has reached this community in very positive ways for a very long time. You know, I felt when I became a senior pastor... I felt strongly from the Lord that as I came in, I wasn't supposed to do some grandiose or extravagant plan that was going to, you know, rock this community, shake it up for Jesus, grow us a big church and change the world. Now, actually, I do believe that is the destiny of some churches. I I do believe that. But for us, I I felt instead that the Lord had showed me that LifeSpring's influence was going to take some time. It was going to be a little bit more gradual, but it was also going to be a little bit longer lasting. This is the mental picture that the Lord gave to me. I want to explain it to you today. It's the difference between having the carnival come to town, uh, come for a week or two, put on a good show, build a large crowd, but then leave compared to building the Puyallup Fairgrounds, which is an absolutely amazing permanent structure. It's currently valued at about $54 million with its infrastructure available year round. See, I don't want us just to be a spectacular event for a week with all the lights, bells and whistles and then leave the community high and dry until we decide next time to show our faces. No, see, I believe God wants to build something that is of greater substance, 
that does not leave or abandon the community. Because here's the thing about the fairgrounds. If you want to do something like a graduation or a car show or a Christmas festival, you name it, who are you going to call? Are you going to call the carnival or are you going to call the fairgrounds? You're going to call the fairgrounds. When our community is in need, my heart and passion is that we, this small body of Christ, Life Spring Church, would be in such a place of health, resource, and substance that we, by the grace of God, would receive the phone call in our community's time of need. But building the fairgrounds took work, and it took time. I was reading this week the history of the Puyallup Fairgrounds. Fascinating story. I love that kind of stuff. Started back in 1900 as the Valley Fair over kind of by where Pioneer Park is. Did you know 2013 they're actually changing their name to the Washington State Fairgrounds? They have gone through a tremendous transition through 113 years. They have done some amazing things. But you got to think, it took a whole lot of nails, a whole lot of wood, a whole lot of steel, a whole lot of hammers, a whole lot of muscles, labor. Probably took a whole lot of money, a <laughs> whole lot of effort. It took vision for it to be what it is today. So what are you saying, Pastor Dan? Are you saying we're building the fair? <laughs> Am I saying that we need to build a big building? Is this the beginning of Life Springs building campaign? No, it isn't. Uh, that day may or may not come, but that is definitely not what I'm saying today. See, we're known as Life Spring Church. Church. We are a church. But the beautiful thing about being a church is you don't need a church building to be one. There's nothing in my Bible that says you have to have a structure to be a church. No way. Church is not a building. You can have a church and you can have a building. But you are not defined by the structure. No. In a church, you are defined by the people inside the structure. It is a body of Christ. It's a gathered assembly of believers in Jesus. We get the word church from the translation of the Greek word ekklesia, ekklesia which simply means an assembly or a gathering. You can have a civic ecclesia, so you could have like a city council meeting, or you can have one like Paul talks about in First Thessalonians, where he says to the church, to the ecclesia of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
So he's talking, he's addressing to the ecclesia, the gathering that was in God and was in Jesus. Their gathering, their assembly had a purpose. What was their purpose? It was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Guess what? We have the same purpose. Hallelujah, right? We have the same purpose. But our purpose remains whether we're here at North Hill, whether we're at an amphitheater, whether we're in the park, whether we're at the beach, wherever we might be, our purpose remains. So what I'm asking is not that we build a large structure. It's that we make an effort to build something that lasts. And I get it. The minute I say build something, you think of building a building. It makes sense. But buildings come and go. Everything that we see, as beautiful as it is, will one day fade away. But there's something that goes on. There's something that remains. Our souls remain. Our souls go on. One of the main purposes of this church is soul winning. Soul winning. It's an old term, old, old school term, soul winning. But I love it because it's how I'm wired. It's my passion to win souls for Christ. It's how I'm wired. To bring people from death and destruction into an abundant life that is found only in Christ Jesus. There are people in our little community, did you know, that do not yet know Jesus. They are headed in the wrong direction. And I love them and you love them and God loves them too much to let them keep on going down that direction. So we are building a family of God who is trying to get in alignment with the heart of God so that we can reach the lost for his kingdom and for his glory. That is what we are building. But here's the deal. That's not what we're building, right? We're building a place that people can, um, we're building a place that can reach the lost for his kingdom. But to have a voice in our community, to have a voice where people might actually listen to us, this, this is what I felt like the Lord told me. I feel as though we need to get to a place where our community trusts us, where our community trusts us. And building trust takes time. Unfortunately, churches are really good at making those empty promises to city officials, even starting something that's really good like a food bank or a clothing store, a youth center, only later backing out of it because of poor planning, lack of funding or wayward vision, leaving ultimately that city or that town to pick up the pieces. It happens a lot. But, you know, we are at the beginning stages of doing things differently at LifeSpring. One of the areas we're trying to build trust in is our schools. We want to be a blessing to our schools. We want to serve our schools. Pastor Adam, he coaches a local fifth grade basketball team. Uh, Pastor Randy, he's a Pierce County chaplain. He actually gets called to local schools to talk with kids who are dealing with tragedy. Just this week, we were asked to help a family in the Fife School District who had lost everything in a fire the day after Christmas. Mary and I, we were talking about all y'all a couple of weeks ago. We were counting, and we counted about a dozen of you uh, that are either teachers or paraeducators. I love that. As you shine the light of Christ into your schools by working hard as unto the Lord, you are building our reputation. Did you know that? That if a principal knows that his teacher goes to life spring, that he's got a keeper. That this is somebody he's going to want to do everything to keep on his staff. And I love that. Praise the Lord. God is building something beautiful here at LifeSpring. But see, I don't want this to be beautiful. It is beautiful. I mean, take care of it, clean it, improve it. But I don't want this to be beautiful. See, God wants to make something beautiful out there. (laughs) Out there. He really does. And what we're building here will make a difference out there. What is going on in here cannot be contained within these Four walls. I've also been doing a lot of thinking about church and 
and trying to strip it down to its basic components. I want to be able to describe what and who we are. To describe what a church is, people like to make comparisons between church and other organizations, church and other events. I've collected a few of those comparisons. I want to share with those, uh, share those with you this morning. I've heard it said that church is like a concert, which it kind of is. Think about it. When you go to a concert, what do you do? You file into the auditorium, you sit in rows, and you watch something happen on the stage in front of you. If the concert is good, you feel good, right? If the concert's really good, it might involve crowd participation, where you stand and you clap and you sing along. You leave a good concert feeling uplifted and satisfied by the performance Church can be just like this. But you know what? Church is even better because you don't need a ticket and you don't have to pay a dime if you don't want to. The Life Spring Church, this is not a concert. This is not a concert. It's a worship service where God is the audience and we are the worshipers. We praise God, our audience of one. Others think of church like a school. Like a school, a place to receive religious or moral education. Parents bring their kids to church because they want them to have that good moral training. We have classes here. We have Bible studies. We have men's and women's groups where we teach and where we learn. A church is like a school. But a church, it offers more than just religious and moral education. Life Spring Church, we desire not to just educate your minds, but we want the Holy Spirit to transform your heart and to change your life. For others, church is like a club. It's a club. It's a social club or it's a service club. We have regular meetings. It kind of looks like a club. We have members. There's a process to become a member. Members can become leaders in our church. We do a lot of things together, including service projects, fun social gatherings. So I guess at church, as in a club, we make our friends at church, don't we? It's kind of the center of most of our socializing. So LifeSpring Church is most definitely like a club. But unlike most clubs, think about this. We exist not just for our members, but especially for our non-members. Think about that. Our main passion isn't for those who are already a part of the church, but for those who are not. We exist for those who are yet not members of the kingdom of God. If you think that LifeSpring is this exclusive club that you are a part of and you love showing your membership card and you, and you just love being you know, in that exclusive club... This is dangerous. It's extremely dangerous because you're going to tend to exclude others. You will think that LifeSpring Church exists primarily to meet your needs instead of it being a place where you are taught how to be concerned about the needs of others. All right. Some people might see church as a store. It's a store. Small churches are like the neighborhood mini-marts. Large churches are like Walmart. Both churches and stores, they sell products. Both have professional staffs. Both market their wars, their wares in the community, hoping to attract interested consumers. Larger churches, like larger stores, they offer a wide array of products. Smaller churches, like ours, we offer more personal service, but fewer products. If the church you attend provides what you want to consume, guess what? You continue to go there. You're pretty happy. If that church stops meeting your needs, you think nothing of finding a better church just as you might switch markets or clothing stores. It's true. (laughs) I'm speaking the truth on that one. And I hope that we are more than just a place that offers products for consumption. LifeSpring will thrive only if its members, you and I, are committed to LifeSpring that is far beyond just consumer loyalty. If we never move this past, past this way of thinking that church is like a store, you and I will never 
ever get involved in the life-giving, world-changing fellowship and mission of the church. Fellowship that can exist even when all your needs aren't being met. Finally, some people see church as a hospital. As a hospital. You've even heard me say that we are like a hospital for the spiritually sick. When you're physically sick, you go to the hospital and you hope that you're going to get well. Similarly, churches promise to help you overcome your spiritual ailments. Both hospitals and churches have professional experts to help you deal, right? Hospitals have doctors and we have pastors. Both hospitals and churches offer those specialized treatments for particular ailments. We call them small groups or accountability partners. Both hospitals and churches are staffed by people who care. Or at least we would hope that they're staffed by people who care. So LifeSpring is like a hospital in that it offers healing to those who are spiritually sick, just like Jesus did. But LifeSpring in many ways differs from a hospital in that we seek not only to get patients well, but also to enlist them onto the caring team. See, when you go to a hospital, you're not expected to become a doctor or a nurse. (laughs) But when you come here... Hopefully you will receive that care that you need, but you will also be challenged to join the great physician's team to care for others as well. So with all of this, what are we? Who are we? What is LifeSpring? What are we made of? And do you know that every church is different? Every church has its unique DNA. God has called churches to different tasks and to different missions. Yes, we all have the same great commission, right? To go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them the commands of Jesus. But how each church goes about that is going to look different in each church. Go visit 10 different churches. You're going to come back with 10 different experiences, which personally I think is awesome. I love that because as Christians, we want to reach everyone in our community, everyone for Christ. And people are different. People have different likes and dislikes, interests. And passions, and who am I to say that Life Spring Church is going to be the right fit for everyone in my community? I'm not here to grow a big church. How boring. But I'm very happy that we have different styles and different sizes of churches in our areas. Since most churches are on the same team as I am, which is the For God So Loved the World That He Gave His Only Son team, since most people are on the same team as me, you know what? I'm actually rooting them on. At Life Spring, you're going to hear us pray for other churches. We're going to pray that they're blessed, that they're prosperous, that they would succeed in the things of God. But who are we? Who are we? And that's what we're going to spend the next couple of months addressing. We've called the series Life at LifeSpring, the building blocks of life at LifeSpring. And as I walk through these building blocks, I would encourage you, pay attention. These are the areas and the subjects that matter to us as a church. These are the things that we will spend the majority of our time talking about, teaching about, And praying about. These things matter. And I'm excited to walk through these building blocks with you. Anytime you begin to wonder what we're about, what we value as that ecclesia, as that church of God, I would invite you to come back to these building blocks. This is what life at LifeSpring is going to look like. So as we move forward, I would say this. It will be extremely, extremely difficult, maybe even impossible, for these areas that we're going to address to ever be taken off this list. These things matter at LifeSpring. All right, you ready? Number one, today I want to talk briefly about the Word of God. Number one building block is the Word of God. I hope and pray that the Bible is and will always be the foundation of what we do here at LifeSpring. I have attended churches and church services where Scripture was not even mentioned throughout the entire service. If you ever find yourself in that situation, run. 
run away, run away quickly. See, life springs purpose, its values, its mission are all based on what God has revealed to us through his holy scripture. Every morning before I read the Bible, I pray. I pray that the Holy Spirit would illuminate my mind and open up the eyes of my heart. Teach me what God would want to say to me through his holy word. It is what we turn to in times of distress. It's the unchangeable truth of God in times of uncertainty. It's our daily bread, our daily manna, the spiritual food for our souls that nourishes us and sustains us. In a world of dissatisfaction and discontentment, it is the one thing that satisfies my soul, the deepest longings of my heart. The Bible is incredible. And yet for many of us, it just sits on the shelf and it collects dust. Last weekend, Pete, he gave us this really long handout. It was kind of cool, full of scriptures. But he gave it to us, he told us, because most of us forgot to bring our Bibles. And so he was helping us out, so to speak. But Pete, you were calling us out. You were calling us out. But he was right, wasn't he? You need to bring your Bibles. I would take it a step further. You don't just need to bring your Bible. You need to open it. <laughs> Everyone with a smartphone probably has a Bible app. If you don't, have the Bible app yet, and you need one, talk to anyone under 30 years old, they're going to hook you up. But see, <laughs> having the app and not opening it up, it means nothing. It means diddly squat. I mean, what's the use of your sports center app if you don't check the football score? What's the fun of having Angry Birds if you don't play the game? What's the use of having the Bible app if you never open it up and read your Bible? Read your Bibles. I've been saying that a lot. You've probably heard me say that to you. If you've been struggling or discouraged or angry or whatever, I'm probably going to look at you with a concerned look on my face because I love you and I, and I care about you. But I'm going to say this. I'm going to say, how's your time with the Lord been? Joe, how's your devotionals going? What's the Lord been speaking to you, Joe, lately through his word? And that's, that's what I say. And, and I want you to know I'm not ridiculing you. I'm not putting you down. I actually care about you. And I, and I found that nothing affects your attitude, your spirit, your demeanor, even your countenance more than being in the Word of God. All Scripture is God-breathed, the Bible tells us, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God has good things planned for you to do, but you need to get with it. You need to get with the program. It's time to stop just calling yourself a Christian and actually sign up for what it means to be a Christian. Come on, Christians know the Word of God. They know that it allows them to teach them, to rebuke them, to correct them, to train them for righteousness. Why? So that you may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You get in the Word of God because you need it. You need some teaching. You need some rebuking. Yes, you do. You need some correcting. You need some training in righteousness because God's got things for you to do. Amen? But some of us are trying to do this whole Christian thing without the Word of God. It would be like trying to be a chef without cooking classes or a pilot without flying lessons. It would be like being a surgeon without med school. No way am I going to let you operate on me if you haven't gone to med school. But yet that's exactly what some of you are trying to do as you live out the Christian life without reading and studying the Word of God. I want to show you a video it's kind of long, but I promise it's going to be worth it. I pray that it would stir you up, that it would light a fire within you, that you'd stop taking for granted the Holy Bible and instead begin to fall in love with it for what it really is, the life-giving words of God for you.
Let's talk about how God brought his word to us. It started thousands and thousands of years ago, somewhere between 1400 and 1500 B.C., when God himself wrote the Ten Commandments on stone and inscribed these very first words of God in an ancient form of Hebrew. God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses on the top of Mount Sinai, and God begins speaking his word to us. Years later, the very first scriptures, they were known as the Pentateuch, and they're now the first five books of the Bible. They include Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And for thousands and thousands of years, scripture was recorded on animal skins that were called scrolls. Uh, a scribe might use the animal skin of a deer or a cow or sheep, never a pig. A pig would have been unclean, and that would have been totally inappropriate for God's Word. What's interesting is, when the entire Pentateuch is found on a scroll, it's called a Torah. And a Torah scroll, if it would be completely unraveled, would be over 150 feet in distance. This scroll was so long that it would often take an entire herd of sheep just to make one Torah scroll. By approximately 500 B.C., the 39 books that we know today as the Old Testament were completed and continue to be preserved in Hebrew on scrolls. By the end of the first century A.D., the New Testament was completed, and it was preserved in the Greek language on papyrus, a thin paper-like material made from crushed and flattened stalks of a reed-like plant. In the year 367 A.D., the Bishop of Alexandria, a guy by the name of Athanasius, wrote his Easter letter, and in it, he listed all of the books that you read today in the New Testament. Then in the year 393 A.D., the African Synod of Hippo approved all of the books that you find listed as your New Testament today. By the year 500 A.D., the Bible had been translated into over 500 different languages. People all over were so thankful because they could read God's Word in their own language. But then something very unusual happened. In just the next century, the next 100 years, by the year 600 A.D., the Bible was only allowed in one language. Why is that? Well, the Catholic Church of Rome at the time was the only recognized church in the land. And they issued a decree that no Bible in any other language was allowed. If anyone found a Bible in any language besides Latin, that person holding that Bible could be executed on the spot. You may be wondering, well, why, why did this happen? Well, unfortunately, the Catholic Church became very, very corrupt. The priests were the only one educated in the Latin language. So the common person could never, ever read God's word. Well, that gave the priests ultimate power. They could teach what parts of the Bible they wanted to, and they could even throw in some things that weren't in the Bible at all. And that was very common. 
In fact, it was common for a person to go and to pay for indulgences. In, in, in a sense, they were paying for forgiveness. If they sinned, they'd pay a certain amount of money, and the priest would say, well, because you paid that, now you're forgiven. The Catholic Church also taught about a place called purgatory, a word that's not found in Scripture. But they said if your relative dies, they go to purgatory, kind of a holding place, a place that you really don't want to be. But for a certain amount of money, you can purchase the freedom for your relative from purgatory. In today's world, it would kind of be like this. If your grandma dies for $99.95, you can buy grandma a ticket out of purgatory. The priest used this forced ignorance and between the years 400 A.D. and 1400 A.D., they deceived the masses during a 1,000-year period, which became known as the Dark Ages. You may be wondering... How did the church break free from this long season of dark and horrible corruption? Well, the answer is simple. Once the Bible, the truth of God's word, got into the hands of enough people and the right people, God used his truth through people to bring about the very necessary reformation of the church. Here's kind of how it happened. In the year 563 A.D., there was a guy named Columba. You may have seen his television show. Yeah, he was a guy with a glass eye. Okay, sorry. Columba was a guy who started a secret Bible society or a Bible school where they could faithfully teach God's Word. And this group of people became the remnant on earth where God's Word was taught faithfully century after century after century. The students were known as the Kaldis. It's a term that means a certain stranger. They were strangers of this world. But for 700 years, the Kaldis would disciple one another, and they faithfully studied God's word. In fact, it was out of this group that God raised up the right people to bring about the Reformation. In fact, in the late 1300s, one of these, a guy by the name of John Wycliffe, or some people pronounce his name John Wycliffe, was a man that God used to do tremendous things. In fact, he was the very first guy to translate the Bible into the English language. When he did so, all of a sudden, all these people who before couldn't read Scripture were now able to do so. At this time, some say that it would take about 10 months to translate one single Bible. 10 months people to work to get the Bible translated into this language. Well, he was faithful in spreading God's word, but unfortunately, he was called a heretic. And the Pope was so disgusted by this guy that 44 years after his death, the Pope ordered Wycliffe's bones to be dug up, to be destroyed, and then to be spread across the river. Some people say that Wycliffe was actually the morning star of the Reformation. He was the one that God used to start the ball rolling in the very necessary reformation of the church. Wycliffe also had a disciple or another student whose name was John Huss. And Huss was equally passionate about getting God's word into as many hands of people as possible. Well, unfortunately, Huss too was called a heretic and was actually burned at the stake. But get this, what do you think they used to start the fire around Huss as they burned him at the stake? They used his teacher, Wycliffe's Bibles. 
they spread Bibles all around him and lit the Bibles on fire to burn Huss at the stake. But it was Huss's final words that became known as a prophecy that helped direct the future of the church. At the stake before he was burned, the last words of John Huss were these. He said, in the next 100 years, God will raise up a man whose call for reform cannot be suppressed. And that's exactly what God did. In the year 1517, God raised up the man named Martin Luther, who was so fed up with all of the corruption in the church, he actually believed that God was calling him to help reform the church. In fact, it was on All Hallows' Eve that Martin Luther took what became known as his 95 Thesis. It was a document with 95 claims of heresy. And he took his 95 Thesis and he went and he nailed it to the door of the Wittenberg Church. People now describe that event as the knock that was heard around the world. God used those accusations of heresy to spark what's become known as the Reformation of the Protestant Church. God also used Martin Luther to take the Bible and to translate it into the German language. He then took the recent invention called the printing press, the invention of Gutenberg, and he leveraged it to now get the Bible into the hands of the masses. Of course, Luther was called a heretic. People wanted to kill him. And he had to spend much of his life on the run. But God used him to spark major changes in the church and to get the word of God into the hands of the masses. About that same time, there was another guy, an Oxford professor. His name was John Collet. And he translated the Bible into English for his Oxford students. He also taught the Bible in the English language at St. Paul's Cathedral in London, where, believe it or not, over 20,000 people would pack themselves into this cathedral simply to hear the Word of God in a language that they could understand. Not only were 20,000 people in the building, but it said that as many people would be outside the building waiting for their turn to get in. Why? Because they were hungry, desperate. They would do anything to simply hear the Word of God. What's sad is that beautiful historic cathedral still exists today, but instead of over 20,000 people a weekend, they minister to about 200 people a weekend. And most of these are simply tourists. In the year 1526, there was a guy named William Tyndale who befriended Martin Luther. And God used William Tyndale to print the very first English Bible. That's the good news. The bad news is anyone who was caught with this illegal Bible would be executed immediately. You can only imagine what uh, demand there would be for people that, that read English and wanted to read God's Word in a language that they could understand. They would do almost anything to get God's Word into their hands. These people, they were incredibly creative and would often smuggle Bibles into England using all sorts of different means. Occasionally, they'd, they'd put Bibles in bales of cotton to smuggle them in, or other times they'd put Bibles into bags full of flour. Ironically, the biggest buyers of Tyndale's Bibles 
were actually the king's men. That's right. The king's men would buy up as many English Bibles as they could, not because they wanted to read them, but instead because they wanted to burn and destroy all of Tyndale's Bibles. Well, Tyndale, he was a good businessman, and he would simply take the profits of all these Bibles the king's men would buy, and he would use the money to print even more Bibles to get the Word of God out. Unfortunately, because what he was doing was considered illegal, Tyndale was on the run for 11 years of his life. Imagine waking up every single morning knowing that people were hunting you down, wanting to kill you, simply because you want to help other people experience the Word of God. That's what Tyndale experienced. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, he was on the run, running for his life as people wanted to execute him. Sadly, they eventually caught up to him and incarcerated him for about 500 days before they finally decided in the year 1536 to burn him at the stake. His last words, though, were a prayer to God, which people will remember forever. He prayed, O Lord, open the eyes of the King of England. And three years later, in 1539, God answered that prayer. Not only did the King of England allow the printing of the Bible in the English language, but he actually helped to fund it, setting the Word of God free. Think about this. Remember all the people who died, gave their lives, fighting with everything in them to help God's living and active word be available to you. And sadly, so many people today, they shakop, neglect God's living word. might not like that video. That video fires me up. In 2013, I mean, it's we don't get it, right? <laughs> we don't get it. We don't understand what people have gone through to keep the wonderful, beautiful Word of God available to us today. Um, very, very powerful to me. And so at LifeSpring, we are a Bible-believing church. The B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. <laughs> and at this church, we do a thing called the Life Journal Reading Plan. You ever heard of that? It's pretty cool. We, we go through the Bible in a year, and it includes a journal. We're currently going through, anyone know what books we're going through right now? Genesis and... Luke, that's right. You can pick up a journal at the Welcome Center. They're about 10 bucks, Or you can go on our website, uh, lifespringfs.com, and we have the reading plan there that you can print off for free. Anyone want to try to do that? Want to read the Bible with the rest of us? I have one. I'll give it to you for free. First person to raise their hand. 
Oh my goodness, are you serious, Bobby? Bobby, I get a run too. There you go. I just got that in the mail. Merry Christmas. Oh, I love it. That's fun. So I'd encourage you to follow this plan if you currently aren't doing one. Um, and since we're doing it as a church, you can know that other, people's are re- re- other people are reading the same passage as you are, which is pretty cool because then you can ask questions, discuss it with others at the church. If you have questions about the Life Journal reading plan, please ask me. I probably have all the answers. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> or ask Adam or Pastor Randy or Kathy. We'd love to talk to you about it. Uh, fall in love with the Word of God. Let this year, 2013, be the year that LifeSpring falls in love with the Word of God. Speaking of the Word of God, I'd like to uh, read a couple of passages of Scripture with you now as we prepare for baptism. Uh, we're going to do Shelby's baptism. Shelby recently gave his life to the Lord, as most of you know. It's a celebration of Shelby's new life in Christ. But it, this is actually uh, a pretty cool. We're actually going to uh, baptize someone else. Do we have someone else? Who do we have? Jamie who? What's your last name, Jamie? What? Jamie Hernandez is getting baptized. Can we celebrate Jamie Hernandez? I am so excited that we get to baptize Jamie this morning along with Shelby. She came in this morning telling me that she wanted to get baptized. I said, of course you can get baptized. I said, why do you want to get baptized? Because the last couple of months, the Lord has been really stirring me up and I want to follow him like I've never followed him before. And he told me I needed to get baptized. Hallelujah. I want to explain real quick uh, a little teaching to explain what is going on. We get the word baptism from the Greek word baptizo. You ever heard that before? Or baptizo, which means to wash, to dip, to immerse, to plunge under, to submerge, like dunking a donut. You're baptizoing the donut. (laughs) But with baptism, you are publicly standing with Christ. You are making an outward declaration that you are identified with Christ, that you are his. You are his follower. Galatians 3, 26, 27 says this. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. I love that imagery. You are clothed with Christ. He becomes your everything, right? He becomes what people see. He becomes your passion. He becomes what you live for. But in baptism, you are also baptized into Christ's death, into his death. Romans 6, 3 and 4 says, Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new life. At LifeSpring, the way we do baptism, we really baptizo you. We dunk you in. We immerse you into the water. I love that. Because you're buried into the watery grave, but then you burst out, right? You explode out of the water, out of the grave into new life. Life that is possible, why? Because of that glorious power from the Father that raised Jesus from the dead. The old nature is put to death. Romans 6, 6 and 7 says, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. Crucified with Christ. So that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of of sin. That is an important scripture. I want to read it again. Jamie and Shelby, listen up. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ 
so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. So anytime that old sinful nature comes back, tries to grab you, you say, sinful nature, you're dead. You died with Christ. You're dead. I don't talk and listen to dead things. You are dead. That old sin that used to grip me, guess what? Jesus is more powerful than that old sin. You're dead. You're dead. You're dead. Shut up, dead thing. I don't listen to dead things. You are raised into new life, Shelby and Jamie. You are raised into new life. You are different. The Holy Spirit of God is active and it is filling you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is within you as a new creation. Jesus has washed away your sin. You get to live a totally new life in Christ. This should be exciting. All the old stuff, all the guilt, all the shame, all the trash, all the garbage is gone. You're different. You're different. You're different. You're different. You might look the same on the outside, but you are completely different on the inside. You are new. And baptism celebrates what Jesus has done in you.